The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the seventh chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. All right, I'm going to go out on a limb with an experiment here this morning. Bear with me for just a second. Um, we haven't done matins on a Sunday morning in a little while. So let's see if you remember how it begins, okay? I'm going to start and you respond. O Lord, open my lips. And not bad. Thank you for not embarrassing me with that experiment. <laughs> Nicely done. O oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall declare your praise. That's from Psalm 51. It's the psalm that David wrote after he had fallen into a grievous sin with Bathsheba and murdered Uriah and covered it all up. David was confronted by the prophet Nathan, who came to him and told him a story to convict David of his sin. And after that happened, after all of that happened, David prayed this prayer, Psalm 51. You're familiar with other parts of it. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Have mercy on me, O God. That's what he's praying in that prayer, that God would cover all of his sins. And he includes in that psalm this petition that you just sang. O Lord, open my lips. Open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. David recognized something in that episode, in that story, he recognized that he had closed his lips from singing God's praise, and worse than that, he had even closed his ears to listening to God's word. That was the trouble he had gotten himself into. After all, how could he possibly have committed such grievous sins if he had not been plugging his ears to God's word, if he had not made himself as a deaf man who could not listen to God's word, could not tell what was good, could not follow God's commands, but instead listened to his own heart. That's perhaps part of the trouble of being deaf, is that all you can hear are your own thoughts. All you can hear are the desires of your heart. And if you know anything about your heart, it is full of sin, full of wickedness. David began by plugging his ears, but here's what happens when you plug your ears. Eventually, they plug themselves. You don't even have to try anymore. You just don't hear. Jesus is showing us this morning, and he's showing to the deaf man in our gospel lesson, something about salvation. Of course, there's a sign going on here. It's a sign that shows that Jesus is powerful to do anything, to heal the sick, to give sight to the blind, to open the ears of the deaf and loose the tongues of those who cannot speak. If he can do all of those things, then surely, surely he's more than just a man. Surely he's also the Son of God. In fact, you saw that it was a fulfillment of what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. In that day, the deaf shall hear. This is that day. Jesus is here now. 
speaking, and those who cannot hear have their ears opened. But there's more going on. You can see in this story of this deaf man your own life, your own conversion as Christians, your own story of repentance and faith. It's something that we easily lose sight of because you are so accustomed to hearing God's word. And if you were baptized as a baby and you've grown up in the church, you may not remember a time when you could not hear God's word. You may not remember a time. Maybe you recognize times in your life, however, when you did not want to hear God's word. And maybe that's a glimpse of what it was like before, when your ears were closed to God's promises, when all that you heard when God spoke was condemnation and wrath and judgment and you just wanted him to leave you alone. That's how things are for everyone who enters into this world. We are deaf. Try as hard as we want, we cannot hear God's promises. That's something that we confess when we confess the Apostles' Creed. The third article of the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And when Luther asks what does this mean, he explains that it means this. I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe. There's a contradiction there, a paradox. I believe that I cannot believe. I believe that on my own I cannot hear, that strain as hard as I want to, as much as I try to silence everything else and open my ears to God, it will not happen on my own because I am deaf by nature. That's how we enter into this world and it's important that you as Christians remember that, that you remember where you came from. You do not possess God's word because you were especially good listeners. You do not possess God's promises because you thought they sounded attractive and so you decided you wanted to believe them. The only reason you are a Christian is because Christ has opened your ears, because Jesus has opened your lips to sing his praises. It all comes as a gift from him. You can see that writ large in our gospel lesson this morning. Notice how the story began. They brought to him a man who was deaf and who had a speech impediment. Notice that even in the details of this story, the man is doing nothing at all. It doesn't say, he brought himself to Jesus. He got up and walked to Jesus. It says, they brought him to Jesus, which is a beautiful picture of baptism. After all, if you were baptized as a baby, how did you get here? You didn't walk yourself up the aisle to the font. Somebody carried you. Somebody who knew what would be good for you. Somebody who knew the way when you yourself did not. That's how anyone enters into the faith. Even if you were baptized as an adult or as a child, aware of what was happening to you, it still took someone else bringing you to Jesus or bringing Jesus to you. You did not get yourself there on your own. And so his friends brought him to Jesus, and those are some good friends. That's the kind of friend you want to be. Someone who carries his beloved to Jesus, someone who recognizes in Jesus the cure for everything that ails the people we love. That's the kind of friend you want to be. They brought, him, brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. What does Jesus do when this man comes to him? He begins by taking him aside, which I think is a beautiful picture of how Jesus relates to us. It's not even that you go to the right church or you are in the right group of people or that you are in the right set of pews that makes a difference. 
in your life as a Christian. Of course, those things matter in the long run. You must listen to God's word taught in its truth and purity, and where you go to church matters in the long run, but at its basis, at its core, when it comes down to becoming a Christian, what matters is Jesus and Jesus alone. So Jesus takes this man aside because this is his moment. This is his time with that man. It is a matter that takes place in the man's heart, in his private acquaintance. It's not something that requires anybody else to participate. In fact, all around there's going to be lots and lots of noise. And so this man deals with Jesus by himself. No one can believe for you. No one can repent for you. It requires Jesus coming into your heart and your heart alone. So Jesus takes the man aside so that he can deal with him, so that he can cure him, so that he can provide a way, and Jesus does it, but it is perplexing. You might have asked, why does Jesus stick his fingers in that guy's ears and then spit and then touch his tongue? That's gross. I wouldn't want Jesus touching my tongue. I don't care how many times he's washed his hands. I don't want him touching my tongue. Why would he do those kinds of things? After all, if he is truly the Son of God, He can just think. He doesn't even have to say the word. He can think. Even the centurion knew that Jesus could heal his servant from a distance. Just say the word and he'll be made well. Why does Jesus bother to put his fingers in the man's ear and to spit and touch his tongue? I think it has something to do with this. That Jesus is always teaching. He's always teaching. And so Jesus takes his finger, which is the finger of God, the finger of God himself, and with that finger, he sets about to manipulate this man, not manipulate in the bad sense of the word, but to deal with him, to adjust him, to change him, to turn him into something different. The finger of God, the same finger of God with which the Ten Commandments were written, the same finger of God that even the sorcerers and wizards of Egypt recognized in the plagues, the same finger of God that Jesus used when he stooped down to draw in the dust when that poor, adulterous woman was brought to him about to be stoned. This finger, this finger, the finger of God himself, is about to act. If God is powerful, if he is all-powerful, then even the tiniest, even his little finger can accomplish great things, and that is what Jesus is about to do. After all, Jesus could have explained to this man what he was going to do. I'm going to open your ears now. But remember, this man couldn't hear. And so Jesus teaches him. He teaches him with a sign. He sticks his fingers in his ears, and then he spits and touches his tongue. I'm going after your ears and after your tongue, and I'm giving you something of myself. It has to come from me. That's what Jesus is showing him. And that's how he works on us as well. After all, Jesus didn't have to use things like water in order to save you. He didn't have to have some poor pastor pour water on your head while your mom or your dad was holding you while you were wailing. He didn't have to do that. He could have just thought and made it happen. But instead, he's teaching you by means of the water. He's teaching you that he washes away all of your sins. He's teaching you that the old man drowns and is dead in baptism. He's teaching you that just as in the flood, he saved saved Noah and his family because he loved them, so he has saved you in baptism. Jesus uses the things of this world, which he doesn't have to. He uses them to teach us. He attaches his word to them. He cements his word to these material things so that we have something to hold on to. This man would always remember. He would always remember that moment when Jesus stuck his fingers in his ears 
and reached out and touched his tongue. You can always remember. Every time you see water, every time you feel water, you can remember that you were baptized, that you were washed, that you were made clean. That's the incredible joy of baptism, that in Christ's baptism in the Jordan River, he sanctified all waters to be a washing away of sin, to cover you and all of your iniquities. So Jesus goes to work on this man. And what is, what is his attitude while he's doing it? Notice what happens next. He looks up to heaven, the source of all goodness, the source of all life, of all comfort, the source of every blessing. He looks up to heaven and he sighs. He sighs because he has compassion. That's when you and I will sigh. We will also sigh when we're exasperated, when we've had enough. But we sigh also at these times, when we are grieved, when we're sorry, when we're sad, when we mourn, when we don't know what to do because we cannot help somebody. We sigh because we have compassion. That's what Jesus does. He sighs because he loves this man, because he wants him to be able to hear and to speak. It's the same kind of attitude that he had towards you when you were brought to holy baptism, when God's word came to you with his promises. It wasn't just some sort of a cold and calculating thing. It wasn't just another person to add to the registry. You weren't just another name on a page, but you're somebody about whom Jesus looked up to heaven and sighed. How can I save you? That's the question Jesus asked. How can I get into your heart? How can I open your ears? so that you can hear? How can I loose your tongue so that you can sing the praises of God? Jesus sighs because he does not want to see any sinner perish, because he does not want us to die in our sins, but he wants us to live. Jesus loves you, and you can see that packaged into this sigh, and then he speaks. And this is, of course, the crucial moment because it's the voice of Jesus that does things. It's the voice of Jesus that is all-powerful. We heard it in our opening hymn. Thy strong word did cleave the darkness. Back in the creation of the world, it was the voice of Jesus, the word of God, that split the darkness into dew, that made something out of nothing, that brought light into this world, created our planet and everything that's on it, and brought breath into Adam and Eve so that you could exist. Out of nothing, God created you by his word. And it is that same word, that same voice, which continues to work in our world, that continues to sustain and support everything. Nothing good happens in our world apart from God's word. It's only by God's word that everything holds together. It's not as though the world is some sort of a clock that was set spinning and just runs on its own, but God's voice, his word, continues to sustain it. If he were to stop speaking, nothing would work. Nothing would happen. It would fall, all fall to pieces. And so he speaks. He speaks his promises. He speaks his grace and mercy. He causes it to rain even on the unjust and those who despise him. God keeps things together with his word. And here, in this lesson, he opens the man's ears. Now, I'm sure that there were lots of people who said lots of things to this man, forgetting that he was deaf or not knowing that he was deaf, or in a moment of despair, hoping that maybe if you shouted loud enough, finally he could hear, but none of it. None of it helped. You know how futile it is to speak to somebody who cannot or will not hear. Maybe you've had that experience. Someone who doesn't want, who's selectively hearing. It's intensely frustrating. You cannot, for whatever you do, whatever words you might want to say, you cannot open their ears because your voice is not the voice of Jesus. 
So Jesus does something foolish, something that seems foolish, something that seems outlandish. He speaks to a man who cannot hear, hear, and with a single word, the man's ears are opened. By the voice of Jesus, this man's ears are opened to hear. Not just the sounds of the world all around him, not just the voices of people clamoring for his attention or whatever it might be, but the voice of Jesus himself. That's what he hears. Imagine that. Having your ears open and the first thing you hear is Jesus. That's just how it was for you. You were born into a world full of all kinds of noise and static and chaos. And really there's nothing good worth hearing. There's nothing good worth hearing until Jesus comes along and he speaks peace to you. And with his voice, with his word of peace, he opens your ears so that you can hear his promises. No manner of persuasion, no amount of arguing or reasoning, no set of facts, nothing could have opened your ears but Jesus' voice. It took him coming to you and speaking to you. He does it through his word, through the Bible, through someone who spoke his promises to you, someone who said to you, your sins are forgiven, do not despair, through someone who said to you, you will not die, but you will live because Jesus died for you. That is what opened your ears. That's just like what happened to this man. His ears were opened, and notice what happens next. Now, now he can speak. Now he has something to say, just as you do. You would just be adding to the chaos and noise of this world if you did not have the words of Jesus, but now your tongues have been loosed because you have felt the mercy of God. You're like David. Having been set free from the shackles of sin and death, David felt like his life was over, even though he continued living. He was like the walking dead. He was like a zombie, so long as he was under the curse of his sin. But Nathan came to him and spoke to him this promise, Your sins are forgiven. You will not die. And just like that, David has a new lease on life. How can he do anything but speak of the glory of the God who loved him and who covered all of his sins? How can you do anything but Speak these words, the precious promises of Jesus. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. What else is there to say but that God is good and that he has loved us, that he sent his son to die for us, that he took on himself the punishment for all of our sins, for our willfulness, for our deliberate deafness, for our unwillingness to speak the truth, for all of that, he covered all of our sins on the cross, pouring out his blood for us. What else is there to say? That's how things were for you. It's important that you remember where you've come from and where you are right now. This is the task for the rest of your lives as Christians, is to remember where you came from so that you can live according to God's promises, so you can live as you actually are, people whose ears have been opened to God's word, people who have beautiful, glorious, and true things to say about God because he has revealed them to you in his word. That is your life from now on. Live in that way, and live in that way especially towards everyone around you. I'd like you to think about the way you regard your friends and your family and your neighbors. We're coming up on the pork dinner at the end of September, and I'd like you to think about who you can bring to the pork dinner, to hear, now not just to eat good food, but also to hear the promises of God. Who needs to hear that Jesus died on the cross to forgive their sins? Who needs to hear that they will not die but live? Who needs to be freed from despair? Who needs to be freed from guilt and worry 
and shame and anxiety? Who needs to be given hope and joy in this life? Do you know who that is in your lives? Do you know who they are? Those people. Now think about them, and when you think about them, make sure that you don't think about them as anybody other than a deaf person who cannot hear. Don't expect that you can give hope to people, that you can give joy to them, that you can solve their problems, that you can cure them of their misery with your words, with your arguments, with your reason, with your persuasion. Don't think that by your help alone you can do anything for them. After all, it would be like speaking to a deaf person. But recognize this instead, that Jesus has given you his voice, his words of promise, the truth of his love for you on the cross. He's given that to you, which is powerful, to open the ears of the deaf. When you're tempted to throw up your hands in despair because someone just won't believe, or they just seem to be digging a deeper and deeper hole for themselves, or they cannot be cured of whatever sin or sickness they are suffering from, remember that they are deaf and what they need is the voice of Jesus. They need the voice of Jesus that opens ears and looses tongues and raises the dead. That's what they need. And rejoice that you have that in abundance, that we have that here. Week after week, day in and day out, we have the voice of Jesus saving us from sin and death and hell. Deliver that to the people who need it. Think about them as people who long to hear if only they could, but they can't. And so, give them the voice of Jesus. Invite them to come to the pork chop dinner, and there I'm going to take a few minutes to speak the words of promise that Jesus has for us, that he's died on the cross to forgive us all of our sins. Invite them there because you love them, because you want them to hear and believe, because you want them to live and not die. Thanks be to God that he's given us such a privilege to be like these friends who brought a deaf man to Jesus so he could hear, Thanks be to God that he has given us this privilege to join in this precious work of salvation. Thanks be to God that he does not want any sinners to perish, but instead that he calls us to repentance and he teaches us to believe in him. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.